I'm Elaine Grant. And I'm Dr. Matt Winia, and this is Hard Call, the podcast that follows true patient stories and asks you to weigh in on some of the most difficult decisions any of us will ever face about our health care. So, Matt, this is the final episode of Derailed, so I guess we're going to need to wrap everything up today. Yeah, and we will, um, but this is Hard Call, so we're still going to end with a question for listeners. That's right. So when we left off at the end of the last episode, Jeff Zinn has had four jobs in three years, and his relationship with Nancy, his wife, is spiraling downward. He is on his meds, and he's still making pretty good money at work, but... I began to hate it so much that all I could think about was trying to escape. And in honesty, the only way I knew how to escape was to go on disability. His work was killing him. Yeah, and his wife is really against him going on disability. Um, so his psychiatrist was trying to decide whether or not to help Jeff stop working, basically to write a letter saying he's unable to work, which would qualify him for disability. And that was our question to you in the last episode. If you were his psychiatrist, would you tell him to continue working or write him that letter? Well... She wrote it. And even though Jeff went from earning more than a quarter million dollars a year to several thousand. When I walked out of that office, I was happy as heck. So that's what happened. And that was about 10 years ago. So since then, Jeff and his wife, uh, well, first of all, they were divorced. um, And he's been living on a combination of public and private disability insurance, And like virtually everyone who goes on this type of disability, he has not come off yet. At this point in his life, Jeff's doing well. He's taking meds and using what he calls recovery tools. He's remarried, uh, living a full, happy life. He hasn't had any more signs of a psychotic break. But nothing in life stays the same forever. And now Jeff is restless. He's 63 years old, and his old entrepreneurial itch, well, it's gotten really, really itchy. He's dreaming about starting another new business, this time using his own story of mental illness to help fellow sufferers. So he's been volunteering a lot. Uh, He's working part-time with people with mental illness. He's speaking to groups all the time. He says he's done more than 200 presentations. Um, And he loves public speaking. As charismatic as he is, he'd be a magnetic motivational speaker. He's fired up about the idea. And it shouldn't be a problem, right? That's a great question. I want to preface it by briefly talking about my second episode. So something we haven't talked about yet is that Jeff actually tried to go back to work a few years after he went on disability. It did not go well. So let's rewind. Through a series of events that we're not going to spend time on now, Jeff ended up as part of this group called CEO Space. It's a kind of new AG support group for business people, like Esalen for entrepreneurs. CEO Space is still around. Their website makes the group sound pretty vanilla. They call themselves, um, quote, advanced cooperative networking environment. At this point, you're probably not surprised that Jeff has documentary footage from his time at CEO Space. Take a listen. In this first clip, people are being invited up to speak and share their dreams. I want you to share that, your dream. 
how we can save this planet and the world. And you have that inside of you, and it's been inside. People are very emotional and feel like they're making a connection to some kind of higher power. Thank you for bringing, um, thank you for bringing sound systems to the world that anyone can enjoy under all circumstances. I'm glad you're so passionate about what you do. It's good. It's good. So as you can see, the programming at CEO Space was eclectic, to say the least. At CEO Space, Jeff met a bunch of people involved in what they called holistic healing. Here's Jeff's cameraman getting a tour from one of these so-called healers, who says he can use sound waves to cure people's ailments. Jeff is not on camera here because he's actually getting this so-called treatment in another room. This is where we make the, uh, what we call transformant. Okay. Where, in this case, instead of having the earphones, we have two 24-karat gold rods hanging down into this reaction vessel, and we're asking the water to resolve the difference between this actual self and potential self. Jeff is utterly convinced that sound healing and the other alternative ideas at CEO Space can not only cure him, they could cure everyone with mental illness. It's the most amazing technology I've ever worked with. And naturally, given what we now know about Jeff, that gives him an idea for a new business. He's going to start a multi-level marketing network of holistic healers, and he's going to call it... The Zinternet. And it was obviously all about me. And helping people cure themselves of really any illness uh, holistically. There were people there on the site that were experts in biofeedback, uh, magnetic, you know, things, uh, uh, horoscopes, you know, everything you can think of under the sun, Reiki healers uh, that thought that they could cure, you know, people of pretty much anything. And uh, I believed them at that point. And in fact, I went off my medication. While creating the Zinternet, things got intense. Here's more tape of Jeff at the time. Hi, Jeff Zinn for another announcement. I'm looking for a few good, crazy people. The way he's talking is starting to sound a little familiar and not in a good way. And I'm extending a personal invitation to those of you that want this information that will make you increase your... What? Zincom. Zincom in the coming years. So Jeff has echolalia again, a sign of mania, just like in the Rebecca Jones days. If you have this intelligence <laughs> to show up. And remember the gala that Jeff produced for Rebecca Jones, the one that led to his first manic episode and hospitalization? Well, he's planning another one. He's creating a big event for Zinternet designed, well, it's designed to promote him. Here's John Lipton, one of Jeff's business partners from the Zinternet days. Yeah, basically when I, when I went to the show to see Jeff, he had uh, this huge event planned. He had a bunch of uh, vendors there, all different uh, modalities that were, uh, were advertising and had booths set up. And he had an auditorium set up. Uh, his family was there. His two children were there. And... Um, that was really it. I was just really waiting for it to get started. I was really just observing what was going on and what was taking place and trying to take it all in. It was, it was, it, it was, it was very overwhelming. 
those modalities that John Lipton mentions, they're all alternative. Yeah, and from a medical perspective, totally unproven. Like sound healing? Right. Um, As Jeff acknowledges now, the central organizing theme, the star of this show, was Jeff himself. So he's obsessed at this point with finding a way not just to tell his own story, but to make money from it. He's planning to build a multimedia empire around it, even including podcasts. The story has changed considerably now, but not much. The message is the same. This is all about building a company with integrity. It's all about building a company that's going to give 10% of the profits to charity, like the Bible basically says. It's all about a company that's going to give everything back to people. It's all about a company that's going to be about movies. It's going to be about television. It's going to be about magazines. It's going to be about jewelry. It's going to be about everything that I said eight years ago to the day when I started filming the making of Rebecca Jones. I had upwards to 12 individuals who were working with me for free who believed in my vision or our vision, whatever vision it was, to create a site where people who believe in holistic healthcare and wellness could come on and show their services. My idea was to write chapter three of my story. I would be cured. And I wanted to get the people to prove that it actually could be done. So we had this show called The Man I See, which was created to show my documentary, to bring these holistic healers in another room to set up their booths so the people that showed up could visit them, and to have a show. And we planned it all. And at the show, I was like Charlie Sheen. I went off into another zone. It's about humans. It's about beings. It's about being in touch with your humanity. It's about It didn't go as planned. I went into a crisis on stage. I think we're ready because we're traveling through space and we are traveling through time. The event was a disaster. A bunch of Zinternet investors wanted their money back. The highlight of that whole thing, the low light, was when I was in my bed and I hysterically started crying and screaming on how could you do this again? How could you let this happen again? Not even saying to myself, Jeff, you're sick, but how could I let this happen again? We'd like to introduce you to an organization we're pretty fond of, one of our funders, Community First Foundation. For more than 40 years, Community First Foundation has been helping donors and nonprofits improve quality of life across Colorado's front range. 
You may have already heard of the foundation's signature program, ColoradoGives.org, which has changed the landscape of giving in Colorado. In 2016, ColoradoGives.org raised almost $34 million on Colorado Gives Day, the largest online giving movement in the state. In 2014, they conducted a community listening tour, and the community identified mental wellness as one of their most important concerns. So their grants now are focused on early childhood mental wellness, improving the systems that support mental wellness, and changing the public perception of mental health and mental illness. And now, back to Derailed. After his onstage debacle, his mental health took a dive. Yeah, fast. He started to break down, and he, uh, he called me over his house a few times. We spoke on the couch, and he got very aggressive. Um, and, and it was chanting and saying things that didn't even make sense. And that's when I started to get a little nervous. <laughs> I, I didn't go to the police department to get him arrested. I, want, I went to the police department because I had no other alternative to do that, because he wasn't listening to me, he wasn't checking himself for help, and I certainly wanted to get Jeff the help he needed. And I handed the police officer probably about 100 email, pages of email about Icaruses and devils and I'm coming to get you. And the, the police officer looked through them. He goes, okay, I'm gonna call Jeff on the phone. But the police speak with Jeff and he turns on his salesman charm and they end up telling John Lipton that Jeff sounds, quote, more normal than you do. And so the police don't do anything. Which is bad news for Jeff because he's actually losing touch with reality. He takes a trip to Manhattan at night. And this is when I started to really become psychotic in believing that God was now controlling my life and that whatever he would tell me to do, I would do it. So I sat next to a guy and we start talking and I tell him I'm a man of God. He goes, I'll tell you what, after I got done eating, I'll tell you what, here's what you need to do. Because since you're a man of God, here's what you do. I want you to walk out this door, and the very first person you see, I want you to tell them what you want. I said, okay. Without a hesitation, I said, I want sex and drugs. Now, I wasn't in my mind thinking just having sex. I was thinking 12 Vestal Virgins, the ultimate sexual and the ultimate high I've ever had. Now, you gotta remember, I'm about as high as you can get on mania, but I wanted even higher. I wanted to be in heaven, basically. And so I um, said uh, to these four girls, I grabbed, not grabbed, but I grabbed one of her breasts and I squeezed it and I said, I want sex. And she kicked me in the shins and the other three started screaming. Within seconds, it seemed like, Four police cars, roughly, were at the scene, and they pinned me against the wall. They handcuffed me, and they said, who are you? So I said, I am the perfect Jeff Zinn. I am God. And thank God I said that, (laughs) because they must have understood that I wasn't a sociopath, that I, in fact, was going through crisis. And they put me in a gurney, strapped me, to a, a gurney. I thought they were taking me to my 
you know, vision of 12 Vestal versions and drugs. And they brought me to St. Vincent's and I was there for two weeks. The interesting thing about this story is in actuality, both wishes came true. The first one was that I wanted sex. Well, three weeks after I got out of the hospital, just by coincidence, I met a 30-year-old French-Spanish French mix, or you know, whatever you, uh, woman, who was the sexiest woman I had met until that time, who we had a three-month affair. Drug-wise, I never had gotten so high than I was in that hospital from the drugs they gave me. I thought I was in heaven. I saw my mom, my dad, and I saw people from, you know, that I had known on earth that I thought were angels. So I had actually never been so high as that point. So in reality, I ended up getting both wishes, which I thought was pretty ironic under the circumstances. And as I've spoken before, in some ways, I think this journey has a lot, was meant to happen. It had to have happened exactly as it was or had it happened for me to be here because all those events, you know, created itself for my belief system and, you know, everything that, that was to follow. Jeff gets out of the hospital and after not too long, he ends up checking himself back into another hospital, this time voluntarily, for about another four days. It, it woke me up. That, that was real severe. So I knew I had to change. And I, I happened to have met someone who was, I was very fortunate to have met by the name of Peggy Schwarbrick, who's an internationally known wellness coach. And she turned me on to the eight dimensions of wellness. And she taught me the definition of recovery, because that is part of it. Because the definition of, or the goals of recovery, are to integrate into society as a contributing member to said goals, and the most important is to improve the quality of your life every day. I never heard that word once. In nine years, for eight years from that first episode to after I got out of the hospital in 09, did anyone ever say to me, Jeff, are you interested in recovering from your illness? Do you wanna go back to work? Do you wanna set some goals here? How could we improve your life? Not, nothing like that was ever mentioned. So it was just that light bulb alone that changed my life. Before that, he says, he had little hope and a lot of self-criticism. I was judging myself as the community, society is, is if you're mentally ill, you'll never make it. You don't have a chance. Recovery is a continual process. You're never recovered. Now, maybe if you have a broken foot, <laughs> you're in recovery until it's recovered or cured. <laughs> in mental illness, uh, to my knowledge, unless there's some doctor who wants to come in here at this point from the university to tell me we found a cure uh, for you know bipolar, acute stress, and anxiety, uh, you're in recovery for the rest of your life. And you have to keep that going or you could slip back. You know, if, if you're not... Uh, aware of the things that you need, sleep, you know, eating properly, staying on your medication, in my case, uh, other, you know, uh, proven uh, evidence-based practices, then you could always have that chance of slipping back and starting all over again. 
You know, so cured is not a, a, in the equation in this case. So Jeff restarted treatment and medication, and he has worked hard to live a life in recovery. Today, it's been 10 years. He went to school, got some mental health rehabilitation certifications, and he now works regularly with the National Alliance on Mental Illness and other mental health advocacy groups. He is still on disability. So here's Jeff on the hard call stage answering a question from the audience. Who am I now? You know, I'm not, I'm not the guy anymore that was so motivated, and I'm not this guy that is on, you know, medication that I, don't, I can't even think or concentrate. So who am I? I'm, I'm the soul of who I am. And what was in my mind was all the stigma that was put in there by all the doctors and all my, you know, everyone that told me that you can't do anything, you're insane. Don't think about it, Jeff. And it was all of that information that built my new character because I didn't have one anymore. And when I learned that that's who I now define myself as and could switch that thinking through mindfulness and understanding my emotions, that's when I was able to start turning the switch. And when I gave back to society as a contributing member set goals and the most important to improve my life, that's when the world changed. Up until then, I was just living my illness. I was taking the drug and not trying to get too high, too low, or trying to cure it, you know, and I was just not going anywhere. I was just unhappy. So now I decided to live a life of happiness and joy, and it's come to fruition. Does that answer your question? I'd like to thank one of our generous funders, the Colorado Health Foundation. The foundation is singularly focused on helping Coloradans live their healthiest lives by advancing opportunities to pursue good health and achieve health equity through grant making, policy and advocacy, strategic private investments, and convening to drive change. For more information, please visit www.coloradohealth.org. And now, back to our story. So yeah, Jeff's doing pretty well now, but his entrepreneurial itch is back, and he's concerned about money. He's 63 years old and approaching retirement. When he turns 65, his disability insurance will decrease, which is another reason why he's thinking about starting a new company. Uh, but there's a problem with that, too. If he makes much money at all, he'll lose his disability altogether. And he's worried about that. But still... Jeff is a natural-born salesman, an entrepreneur. Yeah, a showman. <laughs> so the business he wants to start? As I mentioned, he'd be a great motivational speaker, and that's exactly what he wants to do. And this is not a surprise, right, given his prior Zinternet business idea, and he loves the stage. But this time, he says it's not about fame. Uh, it's not even really about money. He says this time it's because he wants to help fight stigma and help other people with mental illness by sharing his story. And it makes sense because he's been sharing his story and he's seeing that people respond to it when he's doing all this volunteering. Still, it's not a simple decision. 
On the one hand, you can see the excitement. You can see the joy in his eyes when he talks about going on the road and presenting. On the other hand, he's really nervous. Could starting another business make him sick again? Yeah, Jeff thinks about this almost like a person with a type of cancer in remission. Uh, It's this life-threatening illness, and maybe it's been in remission for years now, but like a cancer, it could come back, and it could be triggered by, say, starting a new business. Um, A lot of people with bipolar disorder have this thing. The technical term, euthymic function, you're in between an episode. Sometimes that can last a long time, and with treatment, can last a really long time. That's Dr. Steve Hinshaw. You might recognize him from an earlier episode when we talked to him about stigma. Dr. Hinshaw is a psychologist and a psychiatrist at UC Berkeley. He has a book coming out soon called Another Kind of Madness about stigma, So Dr. Hinshaw says euthymic function could last for years and years, and then out of the blue almost, another manic, depressed, or psychotic episode can occur. Which sounds like always waiting for the other shoe to drop, even if the worry faded into the background. So we asked Dr. Hinshaw whether he thinks Jeff should or shouldn't start a new business. Right. So again, this is one of those hard-to-answer at a group level, at a statistical level, because we're talking about this particular individual. But these sounds like very severe manic episodes from some years ago, leading to psychotic symptoms, hallucinations, delusions, everybody's worst fear of losing control, etc. Maybe if the medication regimen and the psychotherapy and support he's receiving are pretty stable, and even more, that his support team coaches him. Now, what happened the last time you chose this new job or took on this new venture? Did you get the feeling that you were on top of the world quickly? Are you in a support group now every week so that people can, as you take this venture on, say, hey, wait a minute, you're starting to kind of uh, get a little grandiose about where this business is going. Maybe you should check with your doctor and adjust your medication. I think it would be horrible If he thinks, I can never take this on again, I'm on disability the rest of my life. But that doesn't mean you jump into the deep end. It means you get medication, social, therapeutic support, do trial runs, maybe consult, take, you know, get your foot in the water, see how you handle that stress before taking the bigger leap of uh, taking on a whole business yourself. These are the things that can limit the life opportunities of people who've experience severe mental illness, but with support and coping and the right chemical balance in your brain, there's no reason not to think that you can't do it, even though it led to sometimes disastrous consequences before. Jeff does feel that he's got a better shot at success this time. Meaning staying tethered to reality and healthy. Right. So better shot than when he was starting his last two companies, because he thinks he knows what went wrong before. First of all, I wasn't on medication. Second, it was not planned. It had no plan at all. It was just a reaction to a thought, an immediate thought. It wasn't tested. And this time, um, my motives are similar that I want to help others. That was kind of the gist of it. But I've been now rehearsing this part for years by teaching groups on 
the tools that we just you know discussed briefly the the four agreements mindfulness the eight dimensions of wellness speaking been now speaking over 200 times in the last few years to in our own voice with NAMI the National Alliance on Mental Illness as well as nursing staff clients uh, corporations so it's it's feeds into my passion of speaking and and that's been um, well received great evaluations but Jeff also has a lot to be nervous about well, I think the thing that I was fearful of is having a setback, you know, plus, yeah, I would say, and, and failure, fear of failure, you know, just getting up there one night and failing miserably and, and not being able to handle it, that rejection, you know, uh, people walking away or people coming afterward and saying, you know, it wasn't good or... That's a big one. And the travel, being away from my wife, you know, the travel is another thing. And what happens if I do get big? It's probably the biggest reason. What happens if, you know, the opposite happens? What if people go, oh, my God, this guy's great. You know, we need this guy. And the word gets out and all of a sudden I'm going, you know, over for a week. Yeah, I'm, I'm traveling and I'm making a lot of money and all the all the morals and, you know, that I have and the characteristics now that I admire in myself, start changing. And there's also this thing called anosognosia. It's a feature of mental illness where the person who is ill can't recognize that they're ill. It's about half the people with very serious mental illness, people with psychotic illnesses, they actually cannot see that they are ill and they need help. It's why a lot of people with psychiatric disorders some will stop taking their meds, for example. So let's not forget that the stakes for Jeff are high. He could win in business, and still he could end up losing. I could end up back in a mental hospital, or a, and others don't think about that. That That's my biggest fear. You know, you, you can throw all the others out the window when it comes right down to it, the fear of, going, you know, back to a place where I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm insane or I'm psychotic. That's, that's the fear. It was at this point that we started having some concerns and, and conversations about whether we should be doing this podcast series. So today, not only has Jeff told us that his psychotic breaks have both happened when he was in the process of starting a new business. But they both also happened when he was in the midst of projects that were all about him, projects that were centered around his story, the inspiring narrative arc of his journey. Yeah, so so here we are. Um, he's thinking of starting another business as a motivational speaker uh, built again on his story. And here we are doing a podcast about Jeff, about his story. And that's not the only thing that's been giving us pause about this series. There's also this. Um, do you believe now that Jeff has a mental illness? And describe what it is that you think Jeff suffers from, and, or if you believe that. This is what I'm going to say. I've always believed this, and I will believe it to the day I die. Jeff is a con artist. He could sell shit to anybody. He could sell ice to the Eskimos. Instead of using his talent for good, 
He used it for evil. Do I believe he planned out some of this? Yes. Yes, I do. Do I believe he suffers from a mental illness? Yes. Yes, I do. How much is it mental? How much is he a con artist? I don't know. Don't know. But the justice is that I'm okay. And there's a justice. And it's for God to decide who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Remember, this is Nancy, Jeff's ex-wife. In the tape from Jeff's documentary, there are quite a few people who claim that Jeff is a liar, that he's a con man, that he's used his illness for profit, and there are even some people who say they think he's made this all up in the first place, that he doesn't even have an illness. And that, that seems insensitive. We've spent a lot of time with Jeff, and I'll tell you one thing that is really interesting, these comments about Jeff being a liar faking his illness, they're not unsolicited comments. It's Jeff himself who is asking people these questions. He's the one bringing up questions about who he really is, including the possibility that this could be some kind of a con. And I know that he is a con artist. (laughs) You got the loop there. Kind of starts the beginning and the end right there, right? You can laugh, but there's. We considered using this talk that I talked about me being a salesman since I was six years old as, as the beginning of the film. This would be a great ending because it loops it all together because mm-hmm. it says, in your opinion, what I am. You know? Yeah. So then it would leave the audience to, you know, determine themselves what, you know, what is what. He and his film director, well, they both think the idea of him making this all up makes for a great narrative device in his documentary. Yeah, so, so, I mean, we've asked Jeff outright, what do you think about what your ex-wife said? Are you a con man? And she believes that. She told the judge, which I wish we could have used in the live show, he's not crazy, he's crazy like a fox. Let's think about how much money I've made off of all of it. About minus $150,000 at this point. So if I'm a great con man and I thought this was going to be the greatest moneymaker of all time, shame on me. The other part of the question I do want to say is this about being a con man. Great salesmen are great con men. We have to con ourselves into believing what we're selling or you can't sell it. And the other part of the, the answer to this is I wanted to go on disability more than anything I think I've ever wanted at that time, certainly. And I would have done anything to do just that. So did I con someone into believing that I was had a mental illness? I don't think so. I mean, it's <laughs> I, I mean, you heard the story. You see it on film. I mean, does it sound like it? I don't think so. But in some ways does feel it kind of went along again with one of my wishes. 
one of my um, intentions and my intention became reality. Because we talked about that before, that my intentions in life, good or bad, came true. My intention right now is to enjoy the fruits of my past so that I can pass those on to others in an effort to help those in need their path to recovery. There's no doubt that will happen because... I do it every day. And if it's one as it's at a time, as they say, great. But now my intention is to touch the lives of those who touch other lives so that the message doesn't just land on two ears or four or eight, but now 10 to land on 100 to land on 1,000. And that's my intention. And I don't think there's any doubt that will happen. So that brings us up to today. That's where things stand as of the time that we are taping this podcast. And as you can see, there's a there's a lot going on right now. We've we've spent a lot of time with Jeff, and yet there are questions about him that we still can't answer. And there's a question facing Jeff today that really only he can answer. And that's the question we're going to leave you with as your final hard call for this story. If you were Jeff, would you start this new business? So in a nutshell, here's what we know. Um, Jeff has a lot of entrepreneurial ideas. He wants to help people, as he said. He's a great businessman and an extraordinarily persuasive salesman, maybe even a con man. And this is what we don't know. Did starting his own businesses bring on his psychotic episodes? W would they have happened if he hadn't started Rebecca Jones and the Zinternet? And how protective are his medications, his recovery tools, if he puts himself under the same sort of entrepreneurial stress, not to mention the spotlight again? So to put it starkly, Jeff is weighing the opportunity for success in his potential new business. And success could mean money or fame, or it could just mean helping other people. But he's weighing all this against the possibility that he'll end up back in a psychiatric hospital Maybe even he's weighing his possible success against his survival. So if you were Jeff, what would you do? Go to our website, hardcallshow.org, and vote. And tell us why you're voting the way you are. Thanks so much for being with us. We also hope this hard call story made you think and maybe surprised you. You can also follow us on Facebook at Hard Call Show and on Twitter at Hard Call Show. That's the end of our Derailed series, but don't go away. We have a whole new series for you. It's called The Electronic Heart. It's coming up in the next episode. The Electronic Heart follows a patient who has a failing heart and has a chance, a very, very risky chance, to prolong his life. 
we keep discovering things and we can continue to do things longer and longer and longer. And we fix one organ, but that just means something else is going to creep in because we haven't figured out how to stop death yet. His chance of being alive in a year is probably 20% if we keep trying to do what we're doing. If you'd like to hear more stories of hard calls in health and medicine, please tell your friends to subscribe to the podcast and to share it widely. Having lots of listeners is the only way we'll get the resources needed to keep producing hard calls. Yeah, and also give us a review on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. You obviously know how to find us, but others haven't found us yet. And if you write a review, it'll help other people find the Hard Call podcast. Hard Call is a production of the University of Colorado Center for Bioethics and Humanities. It's produced by me, Elaine Appleton-Grant, and by my co-host, Dr. Matthew Winia. Tyler Hill is our associate producer. Music was composed by Andrew Randall and by Chris McClung. We had theatrical assistance from Charles Packard, former executive director of the Aurora Fox Theater in Aurora, Colorado. Support for Hard Call Derailed was provided by the Colorado Health Foundation and the Community First Foundation. The Hard Call Humanities Advisory Board includes Drs. Tess Jones, Philip Joseph, Lisa Karanen, and Abraham Nussbaum.